Hello, my name is Pastor Brian Taylor, and you're listening to the sermon series of 2 Corinthians. Our church is Forest Avenue Baptist Church, and we want to welcome you to come join us. Our address is 106 West Forest Avenue, Sherman, Texas, 75090, and our service times are 9.30 for Sunday school and 10.45 for worship. You can contact us online at www.fabcsherman.com or call us at 903-892-3506. We pray that the Lord blesses you through His Word, and thank you for listening. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Well... Several of us got our candy fix this morning, and so if you're sitting next to somebody who has candy, you go, hey, this is church, you know, you're supposed to share. All right, uh, so 2 Corinthians chapter 8, turn with me there and let's read together the 8th chapter of 2 Corinthians. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed. Overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also excel in this act of grace. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but, as, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, who put it in the heart of Titus, that the same earnest care I have for you, for he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to, his, to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about the generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we've often tested and found earnest in many matters, 
but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. And as for Titus, he is my partner and my fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about you to these men. As Paul continues in his letter to the Corinthians, he begins to recount to them or for them the generosity of the Macedonian churches. These churches are to the north of the Corinthians, uh, north of Greece there in the area of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Neapolis and Amphophilia. Many of these towns that were up in this Macedonian region. And he's talking about that out of their extreme poverty, even beyond their means, they were givers and had taken an offering for the saints in Judea and in Jerusalem who were suffering under the diaspora. Do you know what the diaspora was? It was the time period in which the Jews and uh, were being greatly persecuted for their faith. The Jewish Christians were being greatly persecuted for their faith. There was not only famine and, and lack and hunger, but there was people running for their lives out of persecution of the church. Titus was bringing this message with him that the Corinthian church had an opportunity to also give just as the Macedonians had given and just as other churches where Paul had planted, had given. One of the lessons we can learn from this is that the grace of God of giving, the grace of giving is for all of us. Even the poor wanted to give in the early church. Many times I've been asked by people who are struggling monetarily and financially, they'll say, but doesn't God know that I'm struggling? Can't I give in some other way? And by that they may mean their time. And I, I do think that that is definitely something that people can do. They can give their time. But notice, the answer to the question, should I give, doesn't involve necessarily whether you are rich or poor. Does it? Because Paul says that out of their extreme poverty and affliction, how many of you had a version of the Bible where it said, Poverty, out of their poverty. Anybody? Yeah, I see some. Out of their poverty, out of their affliction, they sought to be a cheerful giver. You know, 10% of a dollar is 10 cents. 10% of $100 is $10. And 10% of $1,000 is $100. You know what that means? That means the poor man can tithe and the rich man can tithe. 10% is 10%. Whether you have a dollar or whether you have a hundred thousand dollars, brothers and sisters, the poor can give to God just as the rich. And none of us are exempt from being a cheerful giver. So that's one thing we can learn from this passage is that even poor people can tithe. These Christians in Macedonia desired to take part. Did you notice that? They wanted to give. It wasn't that someone had to come and twist their arm, that they had to be compelled, or that they needed some motivational talk, motivational speaker. No, they, they desired to be a part of the offering, and they begged, Paul used the word, they begged to be a part of this. Boy, that's revival, when you have church members 
begging to give. Is it not? Brothers and sisters, these Christians in Macedonia desired to take part. No arm twisting, no guilt shaming, no uh, pledging, nothing of that. No, they were setting aside money every week, every month, for a particular goal so that when Paul came, they could give that love gift to the Jerusalem church that was suffering. And this is one of the things that we see as really the beginning of a catalyst to understand what it means to care for a, a global church. You see in Acts, this idea, this theology that it's working, that God is teaching his church that we are all brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters in Mexico, brothers and sisters in Africa, brothers and sisters in China, brothers and sisters in Japan. We are all related under the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We give to missions, and one of the reasons we give to missions is that there's another church that's just like us on the other side of the ocean that's loving and serving Jesus, and yet they're suffering out of their lack. And out of our supply, we can be a part of aiding the church and edifying the church and growing the gospel of God. Across the street, yes. That's why we do share ministries. That's why we partner with them. That's why we partner with Panera Bread, and they give us bread. And that's why every Saturday we are going out into our neighborhoods every Saturday. People ask me sometimes, they're like, what events, Pastor, do you do? What outreach do you do? And I'm like, events? We have the habit, our church members have the habit of going out every week. Not once a month, not once every six weeks. You guys are the talk of Sherman. Did you know that? I'll never forget whenever I started doing this and we said what we were going to do, Mr. Bill's wife, sweet lady, she just said, good luck. She is a sweet lady. But she just said, good luck. She said, do you know how hard it will be? She said, people will drop off. She said, I'll give you six weeks. We're going on five years. You guys or why we can keep doing this. The volunteers of the food pantry that, that rotate in, and we got about a group of 20 of them, you, you ro- rotating in once a month like you do are the reason that we can keep being the hands and feet to G- of Jesus to a lost world. Yeah, it's not event-driven. It's gospel, going, telling, proclaiming, feeding, loving, the poorest of the poor in our neighborhood. And we need to keep doing that. It's a great thing. Uh, Giving is a way to prove you love, isn't it? Um, There's a lot of people that talk the talk, right? But when it comes to the pocketbook, that's a different story, right? Me and uh, Brother Harold were talking about it this morning. You know, sometimes as a preacher, you get a lot of promises, you know. Oh, I promise to be there Sunday, or I promise to give this, or I promise to do that. We make a lot of promises. But one of the ways you prove act of genuine love is by giving. That's why we do, I mean, how many of you gather around the Christmas tree, right? You got your kids there with you, maybe your grandkids, and their birthdays, we're in birthday season at our house, man, we have like four birthdays in between August and October 1st, the end of August and October 1st, and it is like, you know, it's hard time in our family, budget, budget's tight, right? But during those times, and maybe I get a lot, maybe they just get one or two gifts, but it's like you want to see the look on their face when you got what they wanted, right? 
It's that way of showing genuine love. We give to our kids, we give to our grandkids, we give to our spouses because we want to see the look on their face and we want to be kind and we're just showing that we care and that we're considerate and that we think they're special. Giving is one of those acts of proving that we really love. Now I want to first of all say that not all giving proves that you love someone, right? Some people give to absolve themselves of responsibility or service. Did you know that? They just throw some money at it. Maybe they'll shut up at church, right? Whoa, hey. But we know we've all maybe been guilty of that from time to time. Sometimes giving does show where our true affections lie, though. In the church, there are many people who talk a good game, claim to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but by their spending, they only prove they love this world. They spend their whole salaries on themselves, their families, their stomach, and their pleasures. And the Lord knows where, to, where their true affections lie. He sees that they will not order their lives in such a way to make room for his kingdom or his purposes. So they are hypocrites. Folks, if you claim to be a Christian, you claim to love Jesus, and yet you will not order your life to make room for his kingdom, you are hypocrites. You're speaking, I love you, Jesus, but you will not order your finances in such a way to honor the kingdom of God and seek ye first the kingdom and all these other things will be added unto you. I know I'm stepping on some toes here, but I'm, I'm, I'm here to say that I've, in my own life, there were times where I was guilty of it. And the kingdom of God must become first. It must become our first priority. We're hypocrites if we do not order our finances in such a way to give God first place in our lives. We want to appear to love God, but truthfully, we only love ourselves when we will not order our finances in such a way to include the kingdom of God. The grace of giving sometimes shows the world that we really, that we really love people. And so to speak, we put our money where our mouth is. That is what I'm saying is that when we are givers, we are showing the world that we really do love people. Okay? Paul says, not only does your act of giving prove your love, but you need to finish what you started. How many of you <laughs> are like me? I can't tell you how many books I've started in my life, but I can tell you how many I've finished. There's always something that's going to come up. There's always another sermon to write. There's always another article for the paper to write. There's always another Wednesday night to prepare for. And so there's always something else to do. There's a church building project. And finishing a book, even though I would love to finish one, has not been something I've ever done. Brothers and sisters, we need to be people, when it comes to giving, that we finish what we started. That building... I'll never forget, I was talking with a guy, and he had disagreed, and, and, and people can disagree with me, that's fine, because believe me, I'm not always right, but I said to him, I will not sit for another 20 years on that building and let it rot to the ground. I won't do that. Because I believe that Christians must finish what we start. It may take a while to finish it, that's fine. But as long as we are progressively moving forward, we must keep 
working at it and keep trying. We cannot lock the doors and board up the windows and play like, well, let's just, let's just act like nothing's over there. No, we are going to finish what we started with that building. We're going to finish what we started. But it's not just the building. We've got to finish what we started in terms of our habit of organizing our finances in such a way to give God first place in our life. We've got to finish what we started. A lot of people start out really well, but you know what happens that time of the month hits and all of a sudden the bills are due and that act of tithing now really becomes faith. You ever been there? It's like, ah, if I give this, Lord, somebody's not getting gas in their car this week. Somebody's not getting food on the table. And that's sort of where the rubber meets the road. That's where the faith comes in. Is Do I order my life in such a way where God gets off the very top part when all the finances come in, does he get 10% first or does he get 10% at the last of the month? Right? See, brothers and sisters, we've got to finish what we started. Sometimes we start off really well, but hard times come. And so when the church does this, they, they must be reminded sometimes to finish what we started. We have to strengthen each other's arms that hang down, the Bible says. We have to pick up the offering plate again sometimes and remind ourselves that the kingdom of God is marching forth and we are sheep among wolves as Luke taught us this week in Wednesday night Bible study. There are people who need to hear the gospel, who need to be fed, who need to be clothed. There are children who languish in poverty, even in our own neighborhood. You know, there's kids that go without Christmas around here, right here, right around the church. Some of them are hungry. And if we rest on our laurels, while people are dying and going to hell, then I believe there is a great judgment for us if we do not understand that people need to hear the gospel, that people need to be taken care of, and that there is a world that is suffering. And one of the ways that we can do what we claim is to finish what we started, to finish the work of giving. If you set a goal and you complete it, then don't let the house of God and the people of God lie in ruins. We must finish what we started. Paul says, not only are we supposed to show that we truly love by giving, it proves our, we're not hypocrites, but that our words and our actions match. Not only are we supposed to finish what we started, but he says, ease the burden of others. Paul describes a global church where Christians are everywhere. He says, when you have needs, that God would send his church to help. I love that our church goes to Mexico. Brother Randy, he just recently uh, got some guys together, and there's a group of guys leaving here just in a couple of months in January for Mexico. We've got some guys going. And we go and we help some of the poorest of the poor churches build uh, their church roofs and their floor and build pews, and we get to be involved in helping some of the poorest of the poor churches have a church home as their own. Some of these people meet in, in areas no bigger than the size of these first five pews over here. That's their church. That's their whole church. And sometimes we come in and we quadruple the size of that building. And all of a sudden, they're not meeting like this. They, they, have, they can spread out and more people can come into their church. We get to ease the burden of others. And this way, we have out of our abundance, we give so that others in their lack 
can be filled. I think of one of the greatest condemnations upon the Christian church today is our large bank account and our lack of generosity. I'll never forget serving in the panhandle and there was this little town that not, didn't even have a thousand people and that little panhandle town had a million dollars in the bank and they were unwilling to give in benevolence, unwilling to build buildings to, to do anything other than to keep storing it up. That's all they want to do is store it up. I remember the pastor talking with him. He just said, oh, they, just, they won't do anything. They just they want to save it for a rainy day. A million dollars? I Recently, I've been reading more and more reports that churches are paying people's medical bills. Have y'all read some of these articles? That's kind of neat. Whether or not you think that's right or not, I, it does show that the church cares for people that are languishing and hurting. People give to Lottie Moon. They give sometimes about to missions. What about us at FABC? Are we storing up our treasures on earth or are we easing the burdens of others with our finances? Paul's conclusion is that those who overflow in generosity will be taken care of when, the, when they have needs by the God who is named Jehovah Jireh. Did you see what Paul said? He said, he quoted a verse. Did anybody notice that verse from the Old Testament? Verse 15, as it is written, who gathered much had nothing left over, and who gathered little had no lack. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as the matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need. In other words, Paul says we give so that when we have great supply, we can fill the void that is lasting and hurting in others. Now, brothers and sisters, this isn't socialism. This isn't communism. Let me tell you why. In communism and socialism, you are made to give people. Your arm is twisted and you have no choice. In the church of God, we're cheerful givers. And when we see a need, we go after the people that need it and we give it to them. Out of the abundance of love of God has shed abroad in our hearts. The difference between communism and socialism and Christianity is that we want to. We want to meet your needs. We love you. We want to show you Jesus Christ loves you. And therefore, out of a cheerful heart, not out of a twisted arm, we give to you because we believe Jesus Christ gave everything for us. That's the difference. Well, nobody's making us give. We want to give. But we desire to. Remember, four or five, wherever I'm at here, the brother who is famous for preaching the gospel. Did you notice, notice this? There is a brother that went with Titus who is famous for preaching the gospel, and we don't know who he is. <laughs> he was famous in Paul's day. I don't know if it's Apollos. I don't know if, I don't think it's Titus because he mentions him apart from Titus, but the Bible doesn't give his name. He's just famous for preaching the gospel. He's traveling with Paul. He's traveling with Titus. He's preaching the gospel, and wherever he goes, man, people want to listen to him. It reminds me of Billy Graham, doesn't it, to you? And I love uh, his son, Franklin Graham, but Franklin Graham is not famous for preaching the gospel. His daddy was famous for preaching the gospel. And I'm not saying Franklin is not a good preacher. I think he probably is. 
But his daddy was famous. For, he'd get on the talk shows on Johnny Carson. And what'd he do? Talk about Jesus and the gospel. He'd get on Larry King Live. And what'd he do? He'd talk about Jesus and the gospel. And wherever you saw Billy Graham, he always had to talk about Jesus on the cross and Jesus forgiving your sin and Jesus loving you and died for you even though you're a sinner. Wherever Billy Graham went, he was famous for one thing, preaching the gospel. Man, I tell you, that's what I want to be famous for. What do you want to be famous for? A lot of pastors get famous for bad things. You know that? I want to be famous for preaching the gospel. Gone are the days where men can even make a living doing this work. I, I'm amazed. You know, the, the revivalists and the speakers that used to go in the church circuit to do revivals and stuff, there are very few of those guys anymore. Did you know that? They're drying up. They're drying up. Because the gospel is not necessarily wanted. We want to bring in the clown, right? We want to bring in the comedian. We want to bring in the magician. We want to bring in everybody. But what we really need to do is bring in the person that is going to proclaim the gospel in such a way that the lost people are saved. But the church is hungry for other things. Paul says the men he was sending to the Corinthians would act honorably and sincerely, love generously, preach passionately, and encourage the believers to prove their love to the rest of the churches by giving to the suffering ones in the different parts of the world. So let's talk a little bit about home missions and foreign missions. We are called to prove our love from time to time at home and abroad. Our Jesus wants us to care about his church universally. You know, I, I hear a lot of times people talk like it's either or. You know what I mean? Like we have to choose between giving at home or we have to choose between giving abroad to foreign missions. And I'm going to tell you that Acts chapter 2, sorry, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, what does it say? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and other, uttermost parts of the earth. Is there anywhere in Acts 1-8 where it says that we get to pick which one we want to do and that and that if we choose one, then the others are not our responsibility. How does it read? Is it either or? Is it both and? You see, church, we need to understand that, yes, Jerusalem, Sherman is our Jerusalem. And it starts here. And that's why week after week, we go out and we make sure that a few people in our neighborhood have some food. Because we know that it's an open door to pray for them. It's an open door to share the gospel. And Jesus even said, the poor you will always have with you. And so you've got to take care of them. I, I love the picture in Acts 2, when, uh, and maybe Acts 1 and 2, where they're picking the, the new disciple and they're picking these deacons to serve. And they said, hey, we can't stop the preaching of the gospel to go serve at tables, but we've got to make sure that these people are being taken care of and that they're being served. They didn't say, hey, we're going to leave off serving the poor and we're going to go over here and just preach the gospel. They said, no, we've got to pick seven guys to make sure these poor people are being fed, these widows are being looked into, and these children are being taken care of, these orphans. And so what they did is one of the guys they picked was named Stephen. You remember the story of Stephen? Stephen powerful preacher of God's word, got martyred, 
And he was one of those guys that served at the table of the Lord, serving the poorest of the poor, serving the widow, serving the orphans. He was one of those guys that was easing the burden of others. We got, it starts at home. But sometimes our love is disproportionate in these areas. Sometimes we are called to make good on our promise and finish what we started. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that gives generously to help feed people to continue sharing the gospel in foreign lands and even to build up the middle building next door so that young kids and neighbors and youth and adults can walk in there and we can use it as a tool. But Forest Avenue, we must also finish what we started. We must be a church that not only supports missionaries when they come here and preach to us, but that year-round we don't forget about them. Folks, I believe that missions is the Cinderella of the church. We want her to go and work and do the dishes. We want her to go and do the laundry. But we forget about her all the year long. And the relationship that we make with these people needs to be one in which it's not just lip service, but that we support financially and provide prayerfully and go and be there among them year after year, month after month, that they know we love them and we are proud of what they're doing. Not just when they come here once a year and we clap and say, oh, so great that you're a mission, missionary and you sacrifice. No, brothers and sisters, can you imagine what it was like for those guys from Vietnam when they came home to find a group of people that hated them? that weren't supporting them. They went and they, they literally, some of them gave their lives. Many of them gave their lives and they didn't support them. They came home to a lot of people chanting and yelling, throwing things at them. Some of you guys lived through it. A missionary comes home and oftentimes he is the Cinderella of the church. He is forgotten about. This week I had a Pakistani man from our neighborhood ask me a question. I was a little bit taken aback by it, and I didn't know how to answer, but I think the Lord gave me an answer. And He asked me a question. He, he thought I was a, a construction worker because I was up four levels of scaffolding in the building, and I, he asked me the name of my construction company. I said it was FABC. He said, really? Can you? I said, no, you don't understand. I'm the pastor. <laughs> he said, oh, okay. And I showed him the building, and we were looking around, and he said, how can you give week after week, year after year, month after month, how can you give your life? He's a businessman. He's going to make a business in our neighborhood, and he, he's about making some money, and that's nothing wrong with that. But he said, how can you give? You know, I don't understand how you can sacrifice so much. And I quoted him the words of Paul, Acts chapter 20, verse 35. I want to read it to you, starting with verse 17. If you turn in your Bibles there to Acts 20, verse, chapter 17. Sorry, chapter 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials 
that happened to me through the plot to the Jews, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Verse 21, testing both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now, how many of you say, ooh, that sounds good. The Holy Spirit is telling him imprisonment and afflictions await him, and he's still willing to go. Verse 24, but I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Are you seeing this? Care for the church of God. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Are you, are you seeing this? person who is pouring out his life, the Apostle Paul. Where was I? Verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me and all things I have shown you by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. This is Paul quoting Jesus. What does he say? How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Christian, it is time we believe Jesus again. That joy doesn't come in gathering stuff. Joy doesn't come in seeking pleasure. Joy doesn't come in running after sports. Joy doesn't come in running after fame. Joy doesn't come in running after money. Joy doesn't come in running after girls or guys. Girl, uh, girl. Joy doesn't come in any worldly thing. Joy comes in giving. People are looking for joy in America today. And the reason they can't find it is they are holding on so tight to their stuff. You'll never know joy until you're a giver. You'll never know joy until you know my Jesus. And my Jesus calls people to pour out their lives for others for God. Joy comes in giving 
And I told that Pakistani man from four levels of scaffolding, I told him, I said, I think the problem is, is that people think that they will find joy in their bank accounts when they set up their business. People think they'll find joy in their purpose, in their plans. People think they'll find joy in their relationships and in their sports or whatever it is that you love. But joy comes in giving. 